The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. But we'll go ahead and get started. And before I introduce the class, I thought it would be good just to do a little practice to give you a direct taste of what we'll be doing over the next six weeks. So don't feel like you have to sit in any particular way. Just sit the way you're sitting. Eyes can be open or closed. And just notice what the mind, the heart is aware of. And just see now, knowing what you're aware of, just see if you can relate to that in a kind way, whether you can be both interested in what you're seeing or feeling or experiencing now in the body and the mind, but both interested and kind. And here's the most important See if you can leave or let the experience be the way it is, just to allow it. I'm not asking you to try to be aware, but rather to notice that there is awareness. So what's the awareness knowing now? What's the awareness feeling now? And can you be kind? and interested, and can you allow the experience to be whatever it is, to feel however it feels? And then in a simple way, direct the attention to the eyes Not to seeing, but to the actual tension or sensation. For example, if your eyes are closed, you might actually feel the eyelids making contact, something simple like that. And any tension, any muscular constriction around the eyes, forehead and the brow. And as if for the first time, just feeling the sensations at the top of the head. Feel the weight of the hair, for example. And see if you can just allow whatever sensations are there at the scalp. See if you can just allow them to be the way they are. So you're both interested and even intimate, but not trying to make something happen, just allowing the experience to be. Feel the whole face and the whole head together. Now this diversity of sensations in the head and face. Places where there might be tension, like in the jaw or mouth. Feel the tongue, feel the lips. Feel the breath touching as it goes in and out of the nostrils. Feeling the air in the room touching the skin. So we're learning in a really simple way, experimenting, 
Is it possible now just to be intimate, be aware of the sensations in the head and face and leaving the sensations alone, just allowing them to be? So both alert, aware, and allowing. And as you gain confidence, then include more and more of the body, like begin to feel the throat and the neck and the tops of the shoulders and the shoulder joints. And again, we're just opening and receiving the different sensations. And we don't need the sensations to be different than they are right now. And we're just experimenting. Can the mind be both alert and relaxed, both interested and kind? as we feel the shoulders and the neck and the throat and the whole head and face. And adding on now both arms, the bend of the elbows, the sleeves touching the skin of the arms, the air maybe touching the back of the hands and whatever touch points there may be as your hands rest in the lap or on the thighs. Just simply opening, receiving the different sensations in the arms, again, as if for the very first time. And also staying awake to the shoulders, tops of the shoulders, the throat and neck, the face and the whole head. like we're relearning how to be present with the body in a non-judging, non-controlling way. So we'll begin to include the entire torso. Start with the, let's say, the upper third, the upper back, and the upper chest, collarbones. Feeling whatever we feel here, being interested, being alert, and allowing, being kind, not needing the experience to be different than it is. And then down, solar plexus, the mid-back. Feel the entire structure, if you can, of the rib cage. The movement of the breath there in the rib cage. <coughs> Me. Just continue down, upper abdomen, and begin to <clears throat> open to the lower back. And although it is more in the background, we're not forgetting the head and the face and the shoulders and arms, the throat, neck. All the way down to the torso, feeling down to the floor of the pelvis, the groin, sits bones, feeling the structure of the pelvis, just as it is. So it's a very simple and kind and inclusive awareness. 
In fact, you might notice it's quite a relief not to need experience to be different than it is as we feel the body. Doesn't mean that the sensations are pleasant, it just means we're letting things be the way that they are. And from the hip sockets, we're going to begin, just continue beginning to feel both legs. So from the hip sockets into the thighs. And of course, beginning to notice any touch points in the upper legs. And eventually the bend of the knees. The clothes, the pants, touching the skin. Shins and calves through the ankle down to the heels, sides and tops of the feet, toes and bottoms of the feet, just simple and kind and curious attention to both legs and feet, feeling the sensations as they actually are now. and then the whole body together. Not afraid to be intimate with something as simple as feeling the sensations of the body sitting. We're not trying to come to any conclusion, just acknowledging that sensations are like this now in this inclusive way, whole body way. And if you can notice that the mind or the heart is both receptive and alert at the same time, both relaxed and bright, interested. And this is what we call a balanced, stable awareness, present moment awareness of body. Just for another minute or two, here comes the most interesting and maybe challenging question. So you're just sitting, noticing the awareness of the body or awareness of sensation, whole body. And just see in a simple way, can you shut the awareness off? Is there an off button? Trying to learn something about this capacity of the heart and mind to be aware. Can you stop being aware? So if you haven't already, open the eyes, adjust the body, feel free to stretch the legs out, 
whatever you need to do to relieve any tension that might have come up. And a big hearty welcome to all of you. I know in the depth of the winter, it's not so easy in your busy day to come out at night and take a class. But uh, it's not hard for me to say, because it's really been true in my own life, that this basic practice of using our mind or you'll hear me use mind and heart pointing to the same thing. In Buddhism, we don't really distinguish between heart and mind. So using your mind or using your heart, turning it in a sense back toward experience, back toward awareness, toward the way it is, right? It's just interesting that all life long, some of you for quite a long time, right? I'm in my sixth decade now, We've had a mind, I had a heart, we've been aware, but honestly, you know, some of you maybe have been at it for a while, but most of you are relatively new. How often has your mind been interested in your mind? How often, not the thought about your mind, but the direct experience, like what it is in this moment to have a mind, or what it is in this moment to have a sensitive heart, How many moments, for example, today have you been curious about awareness? Probably not too many. And yet it's such a central part of whatever we want to call this, being alive, being a human being. And yet we've been chronically incurious about a mind, about a heart. Now, I don't know about you, but that's astounding. It's really astounding. And of course, it's not just the Buddha, but people throughout history have been saying, you know, each with their own cultural language, you know, about how relevant it is to become interested. Whatever you want to call it, the mind, the heart, inner space, turning inward. But it isn't, you know, people misunderstand it and they think, oh, it's some kind of escape, you can't handle life, you're going to retreat to some inner space, some sweet spot in your mind, and no one's going to feed the kids, and you know the world will go to hell, but you'll be in your little sweet spot. But you'll see, first of all, I don't think, again, just for my own, I've been at this since 82, so 37 years plus now, getting maybe 38. be 38 in May, 38 years in May, and pretty sincere. It wasn't too long into my practice before I was very clear that this is was the most important thing for me. So I've been at it for a while, and uh, you know it, it's very clear to me now that this practice of you know getting interested in the mind, getting interested in the heart, and in particular getting interested in being mindfully aware, having a stable, balanced, kind, alert, present moment awareness of what's happening, is goes right to the heart of basic human competence. So I, I consider these teachings that we'll be going through over the next six weeks the very foundation of human common sense. And the fact that we've missed it, like we should really be talking to our kids at about age three or four all the way through 104. 
right? Right? Always like lifelong learners about like, almost like, why didn't we get an operating manual for having a heart and mind? What to do with it? Because what this, think about what we did with our mind today. How many articles we read that we didn't need to read? How many things we looked at? How many conversations we had? How many moments of obsessing and fuming and comparing and judging and self-hatred? And I'm sure there were moments where the mind was up to sort of relatively wholesome stuff. But a lot of the times her mind is just acting in ways that doesn't support our well-being, which is sort of ironic. <laughs> we have a mind, a heart, you know, tendencies, and they're not sort of taking care of us and not taking care of those around us. And that should be sort of curious. Like, can that change? Can we cultivate a mind, a heart that understands, that perceives and understands and engages life as we navigate whatever comes our way or whatever shows up for us? You know, can we cultivate a mind, a heart that plants seeds of happiness or seeds of peace, seeds of well-being for ourselves and others? Is that just some idealistic, you know, we're just destined to be beasts, you know, stomping around, crushing things that we don't want to crush, but we're just too oblivious, you know. Like we do with our partners and our friends where we're just acting out certain personality traits that ends up ruining the relationship we care most about. Is that that our destiny with our heart and mind? To be basically almost randomly mucking about life no, I think there's really... Because we, we see examples of people who who knows how, right? That's kind of what we're interested in. But somehow they seem, as they navigate their life, as they show up and interact and do what their life's asking of them, you know, they leave a really sweet trace behind. They don't leave destruction, right? And people generally are happy to be around them because they're really this sort of underlying motivation or intentions that they operate, move through life with are things like kindness and contentment and generosity and compassion as opposed to greed, hatred, and delusion. So what is it that makes it different for some people who seem to, like, and it's not people out there. It's like talking about ourselves, right? Because it may be we're all over the place. Some moments we are that person who's ruining everything we touch. Every interaction we have, you know, there's a little destruction. We go to the grocery store and we are completely oblivious that there's another human being across the aisle checking us out. And we, you know, in traffic and we're leaving behind a trail of destruction, you know, just with our own version of road rage or whatever, not taking care of each other, not really being intimate, alert, and relaxed and kind, not really contributing to the well-being of our own heart 
and the heart of others, the mind of others. And, and you know, the very short answer or pointing out instruction from the Buddha and from other wise folks is the basic problem is we live life with misperception. We're perceiving or understanding based on how our mind has been conditioned by culture. Right Now, I don't know about you, but when I think back about how my mind was conditioned, like I think about my parents being raised in the Depression you know, they were kids during the Depression on farms in North Dakota and Montana and coming to the big city when they were young adults, getting married, you know, and they just, all of that then got transmitted to me. And then on top of that, I watched, I was born in 58, so I, I saw a lot of that early 60s TV. Some of you know that. My three sons, my mother, the car, you know, think about what sort of values, what sort of worldview gets transmitted like through the culture that I grew up or through the culture that you grew up. And that's, this is our conditioned mind, right? It arises out of culture, what it means to be male, what it means to be straight, what it means to be white, all these sort of things that mostly we're oblivious to, but here it is in living color, being expressed in all the ways we interact. And we can be aware of it. And not being aware of it is sort of means being destined to be a robot. You know, we're just sort of on autopilot, acting out our conditioned tendencies, which nobody chose. We didn't choose them. They just got picked up through this conditional process, right? And that's why we have a world like this with a lot of injustice, a lot of neglect, a lot of abuse, a lot of dependence on entertainments so we don't feel what we feel. We keep busy. And then we have a glass of wine, then we check our email, then we check the news, and then we, but we don't, we rarely, like we're hopefully going to be doing these next six weeks, put aside some time. Ideally, it would be 30 minutes a day, could be twice a day, but even if it's five minutes, that will be impactful. So let me say that again, because your mind will say, I'm busy. So even if it's five minutes, even if it's the end of a long, difficult day and you haven't done your formal meditation practice and you already brushed your teeth and your pajamas are on and you're in the bed and you remember, oh yeah, I'm doing this six-week mindfulness meditation class, right? Because that, it's perfect. Just do it right there. Sit up in bed so that you're supporting some degree of alertness, right? I mean, fine to get, to get out of bed and go to your chair or go to your cushion, whatever. But put some time in and really experiment. What is it for me to sit down where the purpose then for that time that I've set aside is simply to sit right in the middle, to be a sensitive, awake, allowing human being. We're not trying to fix our life when you do your meditation. You're just trying to see things as they are. Because what we'll begin to see with that form of I'm not moving for these five minutes or I'm not moving for these 30 minutes, we'll see those habits of perceiving and thinking in certain ways. Basically, 
you know, again, some pointing out instructions, thinking and perceiving in self-centered ways. And we do that so regularly, pervasively, we, it never dawns on the mind, on the heart, that that's just a habit to be perceiving or framing things in a self-centered way. We just presume, well, of course, because I'm perceiving the world, of course it's going to be self-centered. But you'll see, and you maybe even got a tiny taste of it for those who are new in your in the opening little guided meditation, like where you can be aware of sensation so simply, so directly, immediately, that it isn't even perceived as my sensation. It's just that vibration or that hardness or that smoothness or that heaviness or that coolness or that warmth, whatever the particular experience, it's just that being known. Not that's my nose or that's my scalp or that's my elbow, but just sensation being known, just that particular unique sensation being known. Now, I'm not saying that that's you know, mystical or going to change our life, but we're training the mind we're training awareness, right? This is a training of awareness. The capacity is already there for us to be mindfully aware, but we're really training in valuing this balanced, non-judging, present moment. And I'll say, although it can, this could be confusing, non-conceptual awareness, mindful awareness, present moment awareness. So let's just do a little experiment. Put your hand somewhere. could be on your thigh or I'm touching the top of my hand. Right? You don't have to look. right? So, But you might want to close your eyes so that you're not so distracted. And just bring the attention to this experience of touch. And you'll notice the mind might want to insert a mental image But remember that that mental image is just seeing. It's just seeing that mental image. And don't be confused by that. And just cultivate an interest in the actual sensations. Could be warmth, could be pressure, whatever the predominant sensation is for you. And just check right now, isn't it possible to be open, non-judging, present with that experience of touch without personalizing it, without it being my hand is touching my hand or something. It's just sensation being known, touch being known. See if you can sustain that more simple, immediate and direct experience of sensation. cultivating an interest in something that's quite simple. So it takes some work because the mind isn't used to being interested in something simple. And you'll notice, of course, the deep tendency of the mind to be drawn into its interpretations of the experience. Think about it. 
that's okay. Just keep being interested in the actual experience of touch, sustaining this simple, direct awareness of touch. So the effort is really keeping it in mind, keeping what's simple and direct in mind, not forgetting. Open the eyes. So in a way, it's like a different reality, <laughs> right? Because we may not realize it, but we're mostly in our thoughts about things most of the day that we're awake, right? There's a famous uh, Thai meditation master, Buddhist monk, who died uh, in the 90s, I think, 1990s, Ajahn Buddhadas. He was quite well-known in Thailand and impactful here in the West because he was um, an influential teacher for some of the early Western Buddhist teachers. And um, I think it, I, I think it, someone asked him like uh, some question like, you know, what's your sense of the world or how do you characterize the world out there outside of the monastery? And he had this sort of simple reply, lost in thought. And that's us, right? Today... Being lost in thought means the mind is thinking, but there isn't a a reflective awareness, mindful awareness, that knows that thinking is happening. So we spend a lot of time today thinking. Again, how many moments do you imagine there were where your mind was clearly aware thinking is happening now? It's like this. The thinking that's happening in my mind feels like this, like the emotional tone that goes with the thoughts. That emotional tone is like this, and the actual activity of thinking is like this. Zero, right? Maybe for those of you who've been practicing a few moments, that there was that clear, balanced awareness. Oh, yeah, the mind's thinking. But we can be aware of thinking just like we can be aware when hearing is happening. Oh, yeah, hearing is happening. Now, if we went out and surveyed, you know, went to the Mall of America and asked 100 people, Are you aware? What are they going to say? Yeah, I'm aware. But we're not talking about being conscious. Like if you drove here tonight, there was some degree of consciousness so you knew when to speed up and when to turn and when to brake, right? But how many moments during that drive was the mind aware that it was conscious? Aware, for example, that it was seen, aware that it was feeling what it was feeling, Not too many moments. So this is what we're going to learn. We're training over these six weeks to insert more and more moments where there's this reflective awareness or mindful awareness. So be careful about equating mindful awareness with what we might call just consciousness. Because it's this particular, it's a unique and particular capacity that we all have to know that this is being known. Does that make sense? And can't we do that right now? Like you're listening to me, your eyes mostly are open. And can't we, in a sense, this isn't exactly right, step back and know I'm sitting, know that sitting is like this, know that seeing is being known, know that hearing 
is being known. Know that any self-consciousness that you might be feeling is being felt, or whatever the emotional tone is right now. Sleepiness, whatever it is. Oh, yeah. Having a mind and body, being sensitive is like this. So this is where we meet our life, the place we're most often not. We're not really, most of the time, connected to our life. And so much of our mental health and stress and our addiction to things that are ultimately not going to deliver any kind of satisfying happiness, so much of that happens because we're not connected. We're lost in thought. And that makes us really vulnerable because life starts to feel pretty flat when we're in thought. Because thoughts, like thinking about my relationship with my wife or thinking about my job here at Common Ground or whatever, it's like I can tell an enticing, enticing story. I can sort of get a little juice, but I've got to keep retelling it, and it's got to keep changing because the narration, the inner dialogue, is ultimately not life. It's just that abstraction. Have you ever found yourself, like when you meet a new person and you're kind of going through your biography with them, and you say, oh, not one more time. I don't want to tell, you know. I mean, l- when we're younger, like teen and early 20s, we sort of like telling our story. Do you notice that? I don't know, maybe you're the younger people in the room were more mature than I was at that time. But at some point, it's like, it's like, oh, I don't want to tell it. And it's the same thing when we're hearing other people and we sort of like, because the story is never it. The Buddha said something once, no matter how we conceive it, it's always going to be otherwise. So in the beginning, and I'll give you some guided meditations. We'll have another sit before we end. But in the beginning, to help us um, uncover that capacity and strengthen that capacity and the valuing of mindful awareness, this present moment awareness, you can think of two particular qualities that we often think are counter each other, but they work together in tandem. And you heard me say them in the brief guided meditation at the beginning. One is, you could call it relaxation. You could call it trust. You could call it allowing things to be. And then the other quality is that bright, alert, interested, once more active, assertive, once more receptive. And when we have a balanced heart, a balanced mind, stable mind, that means that both are working together. We really can't have too much tranquility and we can't have too much alertness or brightness or interest. But they can definitely get out of balance. And when we have too much tranquility and not enough interest, you're going to fall asleep. And so try it sometime. Open your eyes when you're in a big group like this and you'll see a certain percentage of the people doing the nod. Often as they're falling forward, it's exciting enough they wake up. (laughs) Now really, even really experienced meditators do this because it's not easy to find that beautiful balance. And often if you're 
if you really kind of take up the practice with some sincerity, you're going to become competent at tranquilizing your mind and body, which is good. And that might that competence may increase faster than your competence of being interested in what's ultimately pretty ordinary, the present moment experience, right? Because it seems stupid. Why would I bring a full, bright, alert, subtle, broad and deep awareness, interest to breathing in or to feeling the hands resting on the thighs or the sound of the blower or whatever phenomena is happening in the present moment. So we'll we'll have to overcome, like with the active part that we're developing, you have to initially take it on faith that it's extremely valuable to learn how to be alert to be interested in what's relatively neutral and ordinary. So much of our life is ordinary. And what's the deepest habit, one of the deepest habits in our mind is to ignore what's ordinary. And if most of our life is somewhat ordinary, not strongly pleasant or strongly unpleasant, then we're basically oblivious to a sizable proportion of life because of this deep unseen habit of it's ordinary you don't need to know it you don't need to be there I'll wake up I'll pay attention when something gets interesting but even like you know you're looking forward to a vacation you're looking forward to a vacation you get it get on the vacation and you're thinking about the next vacation because the habit becomes not being there or when you're there controlling it or wanting to hold on to it. So we're really learning to bring those two qualities of alertness and relaxation into balance, and you'll feel the positive effect of that balance. So I'll use the word samadhi pretty often. It's a Pali word, also Sanskrit word, and it it really means the unification, the gathering of the mind here in the present moment. So not a dissipated, not a scattered mind, a fragmented mind, but a unified, gathered, stable, beautiful mind that's alert and relaxed. That mind is just good on its own, right? It's like emotionally healing to live your life more and more with samadhi. But it isn't the end. It's really the beginning of the practice, because the point of samadhi, that cultivating that balance, which is a lot of what we're doing in the formal sitting, is to see things as they are. Because the real fruit, the more profound fruit of the practice, is the transforming of our understanding. Remember I said a few minutes back, the problem, as diagnosed by the Buddha, is that human beings, like himself before his own practice, Human beings go about, but they're living um, with the habit of misperceiving what's happening because they're projecting or imputing everything as being self-centered. And they always see things in terms of a separate sense of self that somehow we imagine stands apart from everything else. Isn't that what we're doing right now? I'm here, and somehow you or the rest of you are somewhere else. We don't, it's, 
what samadhi, what that balance will do is it will uh, illuminate that the misperception is something the mind is doing, that it's extra. It's not actually the way it is. It's a habit. And then we get better because of the samadhi, the balance of the mind, at being present where we're not confused by that habit of self-centeredness. So we're starting to see things as they actually are. And everything changes from there forward. The more we have moments of seeing things as they are, the more we're skillful in moments. right? Because we're not acting out habit energy. We see the habit energy, we feel it. Sometimes the habit energy sweeps us into some action. You know, of course, not all our habit energies are toxic. Some of them are relatively wholesome. But even relatively wholesome habits that are based on self-centeredness, like I really want to be seen as a kind person, right? That's heavy. I mean, it's definitely better than I really want to be the baddest person in the room, right? But it's still stressful for me to have the conception, the attachment to being good. It'd be much more light and freeing to be good without constructing a somebody who's dependent on being good. Somebody who is apart from this, who depends on being good, being seen as being good, thinking that they themselves are good or whatever. Because all of that is like unnecessary weight in the heart. And that weight dulls the mind. It's unpleasant. So then the mind gets dependent on sense, pleasant sense experience. You ever wonder why we're, we'll drive across town for a chocolate bar or you know, spend an hour to find a half an hour program to watch that's worth watching because we've seen everything else that's already good, right? It's because we walk around with a backpack of you know, stress. And we don't know how to alleviate it except to have a nice, pleasant experience. But those pleasant experiences, like getting a snack, they're pretty ephemeral, lasts, and then we need another pleasant experience. And that kind of goes for an ordinary human life. So the practices we're doing, it's like we're learning to find another source of happiness than to try to string together each day enough pleasant experience to make it worth the effort to get out of bed, right? So just being in that balanced place, seeing things as they are, it's kind of like those moments we've all probably bumped into where where we were just in the flow. We were just sort of doing something. We weren't kind of the overlord of our experience. Just things were happening quickly or whatever. I remember in my early adult years for a while I was a bartender and um, between, you know, before grad school. And and uh, I really liked the job. There was like music and there were waiters and waitresses and people sitting at the bar and washing the dishes and restocking. There was like way too much to do. And to try to stay on top of it, like to think your way through it, wouldn't work. You just kind of immerse. So we've had those moments of flow where the, Things are happening so fast, the mind doesn't have time 
to impute self-centeredness, to project, this is happening to me. So we get a little taste every once in a long while of the freedom. And it's really a question then, how do we systematically learn to live from that place of, it's such a provocative term, not self, right? which is just the way it is when the habit of selfing, self-centeredness, is seen as just a habit. That's it. We just have to see things as they are. We're only letting go of what isn't helpful and isn't ultimately real. We're coming into alignment with nature, the nature of things. And how do we do that? We, d- we do the hard work of cultivating a balanced, alert, and relaxed present moment awareness. So let's stand and stretch our legs. You've been sitting for a while. And after a couple minutes, we'll sit back down and I'll give you some more formal meditation instructions that we usually call mindfulness of breathing instructions where the breath, the physicality of breathing in and out is what you might call an anchor. So other phenomena are going to come up. Awareness will know those other phenomena. But you can always come back to that ordinary, simple and ordinary experience whether you feel it in your belly as a rising of the abdominal wall and then a falling, of course, as the breath goes out, or you feel it, some people feel it more clearly as a touching at the nostrils, the breath goes out, you feel the touching, the breath comes in, you feel the touching, or wherever, however, you feel the ordinary sensations of breathing in and out. But, this is important, it's not about getting tight, not about being the best in the room, right? Because like we noticed when we were touching the hand earlier in the evening, it doesn't take much effort. It's really the effort of keeping that physical experience of breathing in and out, keeping it in mind or not forgetting. And of course, the mind will forget or get drawn in because of the force of habit of worrying and planning and comparing and wondering and fantasizing all the things the thinking mind usually does all day long. Well, those habits haven't gone away. So when those habits get triggered, eventually you're going to notice the mind's gone to thinking. And then as if you have a serene inner smile, of course, it's just thinking. That's what the thinking mind does. And it has a lot of momentum. Honey, it's okay. Because now the mind is aware that thinking is happening. It's just thinking. So take a moment and acknowledge the thinking. If there's if any emotions, like if you've been thinking for a while before you noticed, then you might have, the thinking itself might have stirred up some emotional tone. Then just acknowledge that. Oh, it feels like this, that visceral, energetic, emotional feeling that might have gotten triggered, like if you're thinking about some difficult thing that happened in the past, for example. Well, then you're going to have a feeling that goes with it, right? So acknowledge the thinking, check. What's the feeling here? Oh, it feels like this. Okay? So you're making peace with the reality of the present moment. Only once you've made peace with it that you come back to the anchor. Don't feel like you've got to rush back to the breath. Oh, bad. 
you were thinking, I got to get back. That's the tendency, that sort of parental, like, you've been bad. So we want to just, because the point is to be present. So when we're oblivious, lost in thought, you can't be present. But as soon as you notice that you've been lost in thought, you're already present. So you don't have to scold yourself. If anything, you should be happy. Oh, how cool. I'm aware that I'm lost in thought. right? Or I'm aware that I had been lost in thought. And it feels like this. This is the reverberation left over from whatever the mind was just doing. It feels like this. So really acknowledge the underlying feeling that might have gotten stirred up by whatever the mental activity was. Because if you don't, the underlying feeling, the unacknowledged underlying feeling will bring you back to the content. right? So really sit with that, feel that. See, you can even say, can this be okay that I'm feeling this? Now, you don't have to use all these words that I'm saying out loud to you. I'm just kind of painting a picture of what you're going to do with your mind. Is it okay to be feeling the feeling that I'm feeling? Yeah, it's okay. I can relax with it. I can be interested in it. So you're using your relaxation and alertness with whatever got stirred up. Once you feel like the mind's in a balanced place with whatever the residue of having been lost in thought is, then come back, feel the whole body sitting, and then more specifically feel the next breath coming in or the next breath going out, whatever's happening next. And then use it, the anchor of the breath, you can really train in that sustaining of present moment awareness where there's alertness and relaxation. So here the relaxation means you're not trying to control the breath because you don't have to. Breathing happens without any mental control. Otherwise, we'd be screwed. Because a lot of times we're not aware of the breath, and yet, thankfully, it's fine. So really remember that. That's the relaxation part. So you're training like how to be alert without being the overlord of the breath. right? How to trust it. But stay right with it. Can you catch the first moment as it starts to come in? Can you sustain that interest and notice the last moment of that in-breath and that little tiny gap before the out-breath, and then just sustaining, tracing, staying right with it all the way through the out-breath to the last moment, and again, a little gap before the in-breath begins again. And it's not easy. And some of my teachers said, this is the most frustrating thing ever. But that's okay. We're just training attention to be relaxed and alert. We're using the working ground of something quite ordinary, like I said, the mechanical or the physical breathing process, just the physicality of the belly rising and falling or the physicality of the touching as the air goes in and out of the nostrils or whatever, like some people, it's more in the rib cage, can even move like where, where, where you're paying attention. Don't make it complicated because it doesn't really matter. What matters is it's something simple, ordinary, and relatively concrete or relatively easy to be aware of. And some of you, a small percentage I hope, you know, you might have had asthma as a kid, but there might be a lot of emotional content with your breath. Then don't use your breath as your anchor if you have a lot of emotional content with your breath. Then you might use hearing as your anchor. So when you come back, 
it's not like you're trying to hear every sound. It's more like you're relaxing and aware of hearing. And when we do the guided meditation, I'll do a little bit of that for everyone so you can get a sense of using hearing as an anchor. And over the course of the six weeks, you can use any of these three, the breath, hearing, and whole body awareness. So when we're doing whole body awareness, you're still going to feel the breath, of course, because it's moving, it's there in the body, but you're really taking the whole body in together. And every once in a while, a particular place that's painful or interesting, whatever, will come into the forefront of attention, but you're trying to sustain this totality, wholeness of the whole body, right, as sensation. Good. Stretched enough, we'll sit back down. We'll do a guided meditation, and then there will be time for question and answers before we end. And I should say we'll always begin right at 7.30, and I'm really good at ending right at 9 o'clock, so you don't have to worry. So next week I'll talk more about how to sit, whether you use a chair or whether you sit on the floor. So tonight just do the best you can to be stable, relatively comfortable. Feeling at home in the body. There's a nice ritual you can do. Once you feel relatively stable in your sitting posture, then do your best to hold your body still, but it's okay. There will be some movements. And if at any time you can't relax with the pain that's showing up in your body, then you can make a very quiet movement but try not to disturb the people around you. So a nice ritual at the beginning is just to take three to eight longer, deeper breaths in and out. But really slow it down. You don't need to make any noise. It's almost like there's a thin, steady flow of breath in until the lungs are full. And a thin, steady flow out until the lungs are empty but without straining, just in a comfortable way, fill and empty the lungs a few times. As if we have all the time in the world to do this for each breath. Maybe one more time, in and out. And whenever you feel done, allowing the breathing to continue on its own, as I mentioned, the breath doesn't require mental control. So just trust the body to breathe. Even if it feels awkward or forced, just trust the body to do the breathing. We'll take a couple minutes, as I mentioned, and just open to the experience of hearing. Relax. And uh, allow a natural interest in hearing to arise. The totality of sounds 
not picking and choosing. And notice how the mind can be both relaxed and alert at the same time. And see if you can sustain that relaxed and alert presence with hearing. Of course, the mind will wander. Eventually, you'll notice that the mind is thinking without getting frustrated, just acknowledging silently, oh yeah, it's like this. It's okay. feels like this. And then allow the attention to open to the experience of hearing. And... Be patient, but training the mind to sustain, to be alert and relaxed with the experience of hearing. So we'll do this for a few minutes of silence now. You can also be interested in what gets in the way of the continuity of awareness with hearing.
And you can continue to use hearing as your primary anchor. But I'll give some instructions for mindfulness of breathing as well. So we're feeling first the whole body sitting. And in this experience of the body sitting, quite naturally notice that movement of the breath in and that movement of the breath out. Not the thought of it or the mental image, but the actual sensations of the breath coming in, the actual sensations of the breath going out. Wherever those sensations are clear for you, then just allow the attention to go right to the sensations, to be interested and allowing them to be the way they are. And just following the simple thread of sensation as the breath comes in and as the breath goes out. And be okay beginning again and again each time the mind forgets or gets distracted. No need to get frustrated. And remember these two qualities that we're emphasizing, interest, alertness, and the quality of relaxation, allowing, allowing the breath to be the way it is, allowing distractions to arise when they d- arise, let them cease when they cease. There's no need to get tight, no need to be controlling.
And remember, experiment. When you notice the mind's been distracted, take a a moment to clearly acknowledge, oh, it's like this now. This is what the mind is knowing, the underlying feeling, the underlying feeling tone is like this. Can this be okay that the mind and body experience is like this now? Can it be okay? Yeah. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay to be relaxed and alert. And then come back to your anchor. Remember, you can use the whole body, so breathing in, aware of the whole body. Breathing out, aware of the whole body. Or you can specifically be aware of the sensations of breathing in and the sensations of breathing out. Or you can use hearing as your anchor, one of those three. And we're going to continue for about seven more minutes in silence. Just do the best. See what you can learn about sustaining this present moment awareness, this relaxed and alert present moment awareness.
be willing to begin again and again for just another minute or two. The stable, upright, relaxed. So mind that has a lot of integrity, this willingness to be right in the middle, alert and relaxed. And to help us have a sense of what it would be like to live all day this way, let's just open our eyes at the end now. We're not looking around. We're just sensing this capacity we have to be present. Reflectively aware that it's like this now. Just address the body, open the eyes if they haven't been opened. Just checking what effect there is from this 20-minute practice we just did. One of the things that's been true over all these years, common ground, and I've been leading this intro class since... Uh, We started in 93, so a long time now. And one of the things that's so true is that we learn a lot from people sharing what it's like to have a mind (laughs) because it normalizes the experience when people say, well, I sat, I brought my attention to the present moment, and this is what happened, and then I did this, and then this happened. It's a kind of blow by blow, right? We learn a lot. And also questions that naturally are arising from bringing your attention to the present moment. What questions are coming forth? So we have a little time tonight before we end. But also, as you put some time in every day, right? At least five minutes, ideally 30 minutes a day, twice, 30 minutes in the morning, 30 minutes in the evening would be great. And remember, you can use the guided meditation. So... um, Most of you should have gotten the email last Friday if you had registered before Friday. And in that email was a link to the handouts for the course and for uh, a previous course that was recorded. And I am recording tonight that will eventually get up on the website and you can listen like to the guided meditation. But we have lots of guided meditations on our audio web page we record everything we do here it goes up so there's many many guided meditations so if you need that but even though it might be easier to listen to guided meditation doesn't mean you're not going to learn more from just doing it without a guided meditation so don't feel like you need to use a guided meditation you might be better off even though it's messier just to sit down 
Try your best to remember the instructions and you'll figure it out. I'll, initially, all you have to remember are those two qualities. Honey, relax. Honey, can you be alert? Can you be interested in what's ordinary, the present moment, whatever's predominant or, or the anchor that you're working with? And the three anchors you can work with hearing, the sensations of breathing in and out, or more generally, the sensations of the whole body sitting as a kind of place to come back. Once the mind's wandered, eventually mindfulness reemerges, wisdom acknowledges, this is how it is now, this is what's being felt, this is the feeling here, come back to the, uh, that anchor, whichever the three. No, shop around a little, try each of the three, but then just stick with one as your primary anchor. Because otherwise it's like when the going gets rough, I'm going to use another anchor. And it gets rough again, keep switching. You never develop the habit of that being with that one anchor. It doesn't really matter which one you choose. Choose one of them and, we're, and stick with it. Okay, so we have time, 10 minutes or so. be nice to hear a few questions. When I focus on um, staying interested and alert, then my mind always wanders. Um, and I like I understand it's like that's part of the practice. That's what the practice is. Because then if we're not thinking, then we're falling asleep. Um, but I wonder if it, um, if there's ways to keep that at bay. But it's really good to notice that wandering. It's like really think about having a sit where you've noticed that the mind wandered, that sits a 30-minute set, and the mind wandered 50 times. That I would consider a really good set because you wouldn't notice the mind wandering if there wasn't some thread of present moment awareness. Right? A bad sit is, I think my mind only wandered once because <laughs> that means you weren't aware. right? Because the mind's wandering all the time. Thinking is a big habit. So we're going to notice that initially. Over time, then the thinking will continue, but it will retreat into the background. And sometimes the thinking will get quite quiet and refined and not be much of a problem at all. And other times, thinking will be a real storm. But all of that is good practice. Because practice isn't about like did I ever say the whole point is to have a quiet mind, right? The point is to see things as they are. So if we have a neurotic mind, that relaxed and alert, balanced, kind, present moment awareness, it sees this is a neurotic mind. Sometimes it's like this. Can this be okay that the mind is crazy right now? Wild right now? heavy right now, sad, loving, whatever it is. Yeah, it can be okay because sometimes it's like this. So real freedom in life doesn't come from controlling things, right? Some of you are parents. We've all been parented one way or another, right? Happiness does not come from control. Life can't be controlled. Life is wild. The inside of our mind is wild as much as the boundary waters is wild. And so we have to, that's what you're going to find out when you sit. It's like, there's nobody in charge. 
But we have the idea that somebody should be in charge. And slowly, with sincere practice, we realize there's nobody in charge and it's okay that there's nobody in charge. That there's a way to be free, there's a way to be skillful in this world where nobody's in charge. Yeah, thanks for getting us going. Who'd like to go next? Yeah. Hello. (laughs) Um, Well, I just wanted to express some gratitude. I've been coming here for years and years. I've never spoken. My name is Sarah, and this is my first class. And I appreciate you speaking about the neurotic mind. Um, I'm neurodiverse myself and just feeling appreciation for yeah. your presence and your teachings and just the space in general. So, yeah. um, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And let's remember... There have been people doing this practice for a long time, and they've all had busy, difficult, complex lives like we do, right? And somehow they found a way to do the practice and to develop some real wisdom and compassion, and somehow it got passed down one generation after another, and it lands in this corner in Minneapolis, and it's our turn right, to hear these teachings that have a long life of being passed down, and to grow some wisdom and some love and to actually contribute. You know, whether we ever talk about our practice with another person is actually less important than the modeling that happens by cultivating a heart that is living out of this place of balance more and more. So thanks for sharing. Time for one or two more. Yeah, all the way third row of chairs back there. Wait for the mic, though. And, and hold it horizontally because it, it's a directional mic. Like this? We're mm-hmm. good? Like a rock cool. star. I'm a singer, so this is awesome. Um, my question is, so it's, it's one thing to be able to sit with and be alert and relaxed and aware of, pre- of feelings that are maybe lower pressure, like I'm really bored right now or... I'm kind of hungry or like, oh my God, I'm feeling sad about something. But what happens when we're trying to practice or we're using this in daily life and suddenly we start feeling those high pressure feelings? So panic, anxiety, trauma right. arising. And and I understand that I'm, I'm sure a lot of it is that we've trained ourselves to want to push away from those things. And instead, a huge part of this practice is learning to sit with it. But what if we're at a point where sitting with it is so tumultuous that it feels, do you know what I'm saying? Like what happens when we're at that point where sitting with it just feels too raw? How do you learn to eventually sit with something as horrifying as grief or trauma or extreme tragedy or grief or whatnot? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one, there's a couple ways to address your great comments. I think it, I think it is okay for us to hold that the heart or the mind is capable of meeting whatever life might send our way. I'm not saying it's easy, but one of the things people over and over again report, we could spend some time, we'd hear many people in the room report this, that I didn't think I could be with that. I didn't think I could meet that experience. I didn't think I could relax with that. And yet, maybe took some time, but I was able to meet it. But remember, it doesn't mean we're able to do it now. 
So by being imp- intimate and opening and seeing clearly and meeting it in a balanced way, we may realize I don't have the capacity to be with this. It's so precisely because we're meeting whatever's showing up in our life in a balanced way, we'll have a sense whether the momentum of our practice, the confidence, the balance, the stability is sufficient to meet the storm. Because if it's not, wisdom right there will arise naturally. It won't be you. It will be just the natural arising wisdom that says, it's probably best to turn away from this now. right? Because that's a move we need sometimes in life. Okay, that's enough. What else can I be aware of in this moment? I'm not going to keep staring. Like a mistake we make, whether the trauma is old from long ago or more recent, there can be times when we really want to get to the bottom of it so we can be done with it. But that's aversion. Like, I hate this. I want to be done with it. That doesn't lead to healing and it doesn't lead to letting go. It just makes it complicated and messy. So this sort of, oh, there are all kinds of moves of touch and go, orbiting the pain, the trauma, uh, just knowing it's there, not forgetting it, but not really looking at it. Think about it this way. If we're being hunted by a saber-toothed tiger, it's quite a powerful move to go, I know it's there, I know it's in the vicinity, and I'm okay with that. Because as human beings, there are dangers. There is insecurity and vulnerability. right? I mean, could be a, an asteroid going to hit us, or earthquake, or any number of things, cancer. So, when we live in this authentic, balanced, intimate way, we're not pretending that we're invulnerable. But it doesn't mean we're obsessing about the possibility of an earthquake. Right? So what we pay attention to is like what's skillful to pay attention to. So you could even ask yourself, is it skillful for the mind to be opening to this experience right now? Like another more simple example of the comment you're making, and then we'll end with this, is if you have a lot of knee pain, let's say, or back pain, whatever it might be, and initially pain can be a very useful object of awareness. So you might have your anchor, but all of a sudden the ache in the knee. Now, let's just presume that the mind's interpretation is you're not doing long-term damage to your knee. But it is, um, it is really painful. So you're with it, you're with it. But at some point, you, f- you find that the way the mind is relating is sort of like, I'm tougher than you, or I'm not going to blink. That's sort of like having power over the pain. So that's another kind of expression of control or aversion. Now, we don't need or want to practice being more controlling. That doesn't help anybody. So at that point where you're just tolerating or... Um, fighting the pain, that might be the time to take your leg quietly, you know, and stretch it out and be mindful of that whole thing. Be aware of that. Maybe there's even a little shame in having to move your leg. Notice that. And then just continue the practice once the pain has been alleviated. So we only work with physical pain. We only look at the pain or open to the pain when the mind can be alert and relaxed. But when it becomes controlling well, then we're not practicing. So then it's either turn away from the pain or if it's so strong you can't turn away from it, then 
if you can, adjust your posture so the pain goes away. So there's one more thing I want to say before we leave, real quick. Come next Tuesday, you may be gung-ho, you may feel like, yeah, I think mindfulness is a really good thing for me to take up, but not tonight. So then, just do a little practice right then. Oh yeah, that's just a thought being known. feels like this. So be mindfully aware of any resistance to coming back next week. Because you really need to give it some time before you'll know whether this makes sense, something you really want to cultivate in your life. So for whatever reason you got here tonight, you know, then really give it some time to see if what you can get from doing a little practice every day, from showing up every Tuesday for the next six weeks, and, and also practicing spontaneously in little moments when you just naturally remember to be mindfully aware, just let the, that be a 10-second practice. And you'll see then after six weeks, you just have enough of a taste of whether this is something that's really going to be important in your life. So be on the lookout, and remember, you can be aware of resistance. Resistance feels like this. Wanting to go to bed feels like this. Not thinking it's worth it feels like this. Looks like this. See, then you're, you're not personalizing it. That's just a thought. And then you can, because you're not personalizing the resistance, then your choice, whether you come or not, isn't just being on autopilot. Oh, when that resistance comes, I listen to it. Because we might have avoided a lot of good things in our life because we were confused by resistance. It's very common for there to be resistance, especially in Minnesota in January. <laughs> Who wants to leave at, you know, whatever, 6.30 or 7 o'clock? If you have a little time to come early, you notice all the chairs have to get set up and cushions. It's really great to have some help, so feel free to come a little bit early. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.